You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda. And today's topic, we are going to talk about uh, Liberia and how Liberia at one time, it was a colony of the Americas and specifically a black colony. So the title of this podcast is The Black Colony of Liberia. Now, some of you may know this information. I am putting this information out, and, I, and I've talked about it several times as well, um, as well as others that know this information have spoke on it. Uh, the reason I am putting this out there, because I really want us to get a clear understanding of how much colonization not only went on around the planet, but who was doing it. Because the current narrative that we have um, is not the total picture at all. Okay, Uh, so let's get into a little bit of technology here. I'm going to start out uh, actually with Wikipedia and actually... They actually did a good job, to be honest, um, on breaking it down. And then we're going to get into a little bit more details on this. All right. So here we go. Uh, This is Wikipedia speaking on the colony of Liberia. Uh, So the colony of Liberia later, the Commonwealth of Liberia was a private colony of the American Colonization Society. And we're going to get in specifically what is the American Colonization Society. Beginning in 1822, it became an independent nation, the Republic of Liberia, after declaring independence in 1847. So it says early status and settlement. It is unclear whether or not Iberia was ever technically a colony at all. Unlike most other colonies in the 19th century, it had no charter and had no official allegiance or relationship with a sovereign nation. As one report explained, the colony belongs to and is under the immediate control and jurisdiction of the Board of Managers of the American Colonization Society. Even after it had declared independence in 1847 and established itself as a republic in 1848, few nations recognized its sovereignty. Indeed, the United States did not recognize Liberia's independence until 1862, after the, after the Southern states had succeeded and formed the Confederate States of America at the beginning of the Civil War. Okay, so we're going to get into to this. I'm, I'm going to see if they're going to bring it up in here. I can't remember if they're going to bring it up in here. 
The American Colonization Society did not act alone in creating the colony, much of which would become Liberia was a collection of independent settlements. Now, I want y'all to check this out. They are getting into it a little bit. Much of which, much of what would become Liberia was a collection of independent settlements sponsored by state colonization societies. Check these names. Mississippi in Africa. Okay. Kentucky in Africa. Louisiana, Virginia, and several others. In the decades before Liberia's independence, these separate colonies systematically came together to to form and expand the colony of Liberia. And in 1839, they formed the Commonwealth of Liberia, defined by a stronger union and an increased declaration to home rule. <sighs> Chow. Preparation, preparations. In 1815, Paul Cuffey, Y'all, by this point that rock with us, y'all should know who he is. And yes, he was melanated. Very, a lot of influence. Melanated, European. In 1815, Paul Cuffey attempted a settlement up for free men on... Sherbro Island. Okay, we just talked about that definition of freemen, freedmen, but it fell within five years and the survivors fled to Sierra Leone. Hmm. Really now? So as we're going through this, I want you all to pay attention to the areas in Africa that they're talking about this colonization took place, okay? Because those of you that are doing those DNA tests that are coming back saying that you're African, hmm, but we'll, we'll, we'll continue. In 1816, leaders like Henry Clay, Robert <coughs> Finley, and Francis Scott Key formed the American Colonization Society with the purpose of relocating freedmen to the Pepper Coast. So, I'm going to stop there because I want to jump over to the American Colonization Society. I want us to get into that a little deeper. Okay, uh, is this the one I wanted to pull? Because I pulled several on it. And uh, this is actually off the WhiteHouseHistory.org, the American Colonization Society. Uh, in the late 18th centuries, the century, the original 13 colonies dissolved and formed the United States. Okay, so we should know by now who formed the original 13 colonies? That was King James Stewart, who is melanated, right? 
1787, delegates to the Constitutional Convention gathered in Philadelphia to craft a new federal government for the nation. The new constitution protected the institution of slavery to fulfill an immediate and important need for a labor force and preserve the hierarchy that kept white male landowners at the helm of the leadership of the young country. Okay, so that's not quite true. Okay, but we got to realize who we're dealing with. <laughs> Who's putting this stuff out? This is the White House. While the Constitution ensured that slavery was an integral part of the nation's economy, political leaders and enslavers worried about the growing free Black population in their respective states. Okay, so I also want us to make note, we talked about in extension in quite some detail what this definition of slavery meant, okay? It's not what they are teaching you. It's a combination of things, okay? So you had some that were prisoners of war. You had some that were under indentured servant or servitude contracts, and they always swapped the terms indentured servitude with slavery, okay? So indentured servitude fell under two categories. One, people were on, on uh, indentured servitude contracts for labor. So meaning they came from Europe to come over to the Americas to work with a contract of no more than seven years. All right? So that was... Black Europeans, as well as white Europeans. You also had some of the indigenous folks that also worked under the indentured servant contracts because as the indigenous people started getting land either confiscated or bargained away, by bad deals, by whoever was representing them or not representing them, they fell into the position where they had to work, okay? So they also went under indentured servant contracts, okay, with the colonizers. So with the folks that were running the plantations, Okay, because the plantations were set up like businesses. Okay, and then, of course, you had your um, just straight prisoners of war. Okay, so the wars between the uh, indent indigenous people slash Indians and um, Britain. Okay. And then the last category, which was the least out of all that I have named, were African slaves, okay? And the only official records that we find on the African slaves, uh, it's like 
they said a total of 300 something thousand. So that's why we can say they were the least out of the group because you're talking millions of people, okay? All right, so I just wanted to remind folks of that because we have to start looking at this stuff in the correct content or contact rather, context. Uh, sorry, y'all. While the Constitution assured that slavery would be an integral part of the nation's economy, political leaders and enslavers. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to point out, okay, and I know this is a reminder to some of you that have watched the other podcast. The slave owners were both melanated and white. Okay. So the total narrative of slavery that the way they are teaching it is totally false. Yes, you had melanated people slash black people, white slash Caucasian people, both being slave owners. And specifically, uh, and also if you want to put in there mixed race, Okay, owning slaves. Okay. And the category of melanated people owning slaves were a couple of categories. Number one, they were just, they just had a lot of influence. They had a lot of power. They had a lot of money because they came from Europe and they were connected to the black nobility, the black European nobility. Okay. So that's the first category. The second category are melanated people who were able to purchase other indentured servant contracts slash slavery, either purchasing out their family members contract or literally running it as a business like the colonizers uh, would do as well. Okay. But the ones that the, the melanated people that had a large amount of slaves slash indentured servants were the ones with the money, of course, which tie back to the black nobility of Europe, okay? And then the other category that uh, didn't have a lot of money and that was either purchasing their family members or trying to run it as a business, uh, those can fit in the category of uh, black Europeans that came over on an indentured servant contract and was able to work their way up to purchase out their own contract, either purchase their family members or purchase other folks' contracts, or um, American Indian slash indigenous people, okay? So those are all the category of the black slave owners slash folks who ran a labor force because that's basically what it was. Okay. Um, 
Horrible labor conditions, don't get me wrong, horrible labor conditions, but that's what it was. Uh, the other categories, of course, with mixed race, it, it is just like it sounds. They got in that position because, you know, they had family members of influence. Uh, more than likely during this time period, it was the black nobility side and they, uh, they're mixed with Caucasian and black. Okay. So they were put in those positions by family members. Okay. And then Caucasians, same thing. They were um, part of that black nobility's king's court and were put in those positions to run a plantation. Okay. So those are the categories of the folks that owned slaves. All right. So while the Constitution ensured that slavery would be an integral part of the nation's economy, political leaders and enslavers worried about the growing free Black population in their respective states. Many feared that free Black people would encourage and aid the enslaved population to rebel. They sought a solution that would remove this threat to the institution of slavery but, but would not create an economic disruption. Okay, so, I mean, I'm not going to dispute anything they said on this. Um, only difference is, as we talked about before, uh, you have to understand that those that were concerned about this free Black population were also black slave owners, okay? So that's the only, of course, missing thing in this as well, okay? Because yes, at the end of the day, this was all about economics, was business. A series of insurrections and rebellions sparked new debates over slavery and emancipation as well as colonization, the Haitian Revolution and the emergence of the independent Haiti created an atmosphere of fear and terror in the white population in the United States. Okay, so not so much the white population in the United States. It was the business owners, white and black, in the United States. Okay, that's what this was about. Business. So in other words, the black Europeans that came over on those indentured servant contracts that they soon discovered it would be hard for them to get ahead and to ever have any land of their own, build anything on their own. And they would have to literally keep working in those conditions for the rest of their life, generation after generation. And then you had the indigenous population whose land had been confiscated and they lost wars. So you had two groups of people upset 
And those two groups of people, and then the third group of people, also the white indentured servants that came over from Europe as well on those contracts, those indentured servant contracts, working under the same conditions and realizing they can't get ahead as well. So you had the worker, the working class, the working class ticked off because they were benefiting the least out of the deal, working under horrible conditions. Okay? So that's what that was about. Okay? All right. In August, and I, I did a drop on Haiti, and um, it, it extensively went into the Haitian Revolution, and it was the same deal uh, in Haiti as well. You had the indigenous Haitians and the black Europeans teaming up against the British crown, okay? So in August 1791, enslaved and free people of color across the colony of St. Domingo fomented a revolt and seized control of the colony from the colonial power of France, declaring independence on January 1st, 1804. The new Republic of Haiti became the world's first black republic and the first independent nation in the Caribbean. The Haitian Revolution is also the only successful attempt where enslaved people liberated themselves from a colonial power in the Western Hemisphere. Okay, so I agree with them on that. And it would make sense that they saw how when the indigenous people of the land and uh, the black Europeans that were that came over on them indentured servant contracts teamed up together and overthrew that uh, the European power. Okay, so the United States, it wasn't even the United States yet, didn't want that to happen. So many enslavers and supporter of slavery in the United States heard how free people of color participated and fought alongside the enslaved in the Haitian Revolution. Okay. All right. So notice they're talking about some free people of color code for uh, black Europeans, basically. These reports reinforced their shared belief that the free people were an active threat to the institution of slavery and needed to be separated from the rest of the country's population. Mm. So I'm going to read that again. These reports reinforced their shared belief that free black people were an active threat to the institution of slavery and needed to be separated from the rest of the country's population. In 1800s, officials in Richmond uncovered plans for an insurrection led by an enslaved person, Gabriel, suggesting that the Haitian Revolution encouraged other enslaved people to rise up against their enslavers. Both the Haitian Revolution and Gabriel's rebel, rebel, rebellion prompted white leaders to take precaution 
to prevent a race war from breaking out in the state. Okay, so again, we got to remember they're putting white leader in here, but remember, melanated folks own indentured servants slash slave contracts as well. Virginia passed laws creating tighter restrictions on or outright prohibiting emancipation while legislation in Maryland, Delaware, Kentucky, and Missouri police and restricted the movement of enslaved and free black people. State legislation and other leaders in white communities debated on how to manage and remove the free black population as they feared this would this group would inspire enslaved people to revolt and assist their attempts to escape. All right. As a as word of enslaved led insurrections around the globe began to spread, enslavers and other leaders attempt, attempted to control the free black population with new restrictions and codes. The restrictions also led many white leaders to consider colonization to rid the U.S. of free black people. Okay, so let's just remember, they talk about white leaders. We had at the time at the seat of power, black leadership. Okay, so it was not exclusively white leaders on those plantations. It was a mixture. All right. Through colonization, the free black population would be settled in their own nation, eliminating the group of people deemed an imminent threat to the institution of slavery. A few proponents of colonization initially suggested the creation of a colony for black people west of the Mississippi or the West Indians. In Indies, rather. But after Paul Cuffey, a mixed race Quaker, I'm surprised they call the mixed race, honey. I'm surprised. Okay. But after Paul Cuffey, a mixed race Quaker, shipbuilder, and activist made a successful self-financed trip with 38 black people to Sierra Leone for the purpose of settling other free black people in 1815. Now let's stop. So they gonna try to sit here and tell me, this is why you have to use logic when they're telling you things. So they trying to tell me, Paul Cuffey, a black man, if you want to throw mixed race up in there, okay. But, you know, according to y'all definition, one drop of black blood, you black. Now, that ain't what I said. That's what y'all said, especially back up in these times. That's what you said. So, this mixed race man, he was a shipbuilder. And he was able to self-finance. 
really? He was able to self-finance a trip with 38 black folks to Sierra Leone for the purpose of settling other free black people in 1815? Uh, no, that, no, blood, no, uh-uh. Yes, he absolutely did those things, but he did it because he was an affluent black European. It proves the point of the involvement of black Europeans in early colonization. This mixed man was able to try to set up a, col a colony in Sierra Leone in 1815 because he came from money. He is of the black European nobility stock. Let's continue. Other supporters of colonization deemed the western coast of Africa the ideal location for a new colony. Oh, stop, scratch head, scratch head, scratch head, blink 75 times, blink 75 times. So I thought the official story of slavery was a rah. A rod that they took millions and millions of them black Africans from West Africa over to the Americas to be slaves, to be the labor, to work. And so now you have a black man that self-financed this trip now. Let's, let's not forget that. He self-financed this trip. To bring free black folk back to Africa to create a colony. Okay. If you that sounds logical to y'all, okay then. But of course, that is not how the story happened. The perceived success of Cuffey's voyage, along with the desire to remove free black people from the United States altogether served as an inspiration for the American Colonization Society. Now, I do want to point this out as well, that some people say, and, you know, I'm kind of leaning towards what, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt, this particular logic, because some people say, they know this information, that, they were also trying to set up this colony in West Africa. Of course, it was expansion of their British Empire, as they always do, because remember, it's always about them coins for them. Okay, so that was the number one main reason. The number two reason, some people say, is that they had promised some of them other black Europeans, they had promised them positions of power. 
okay? They promised them where they could run their own colony. Which that makes sense to me. Okay? Especially the amount of worrying that was going on. A lot of deal cutting was being done. So when I heard, and I, I forget who I heard that from, but I'm tending to agree with them that that was another underlying thing as well. That what a perfect way to expand the British Empire with another colony and then also get some of the other people, some of the other freedmen, some of the other freedmen to run this African colony. Okay. All right, so that's just something to think about. I had another point and I lost it. Dang, and it was a good point. Dang on it, maybe it'll come back to me. All right, so originally known as the American Society for Colonizing for the Free People of Color of the United States, chalice a lot. The American colonization, oh, that's the other point I wanted to make. I'll go back and reread that. The other point I wanted to remake, uh, make, when they, I find it interesting that when they talk about going over colonizing somewhere, a lot of times they gloss over the fact that there's already indigenous people living on those lands, minding their own business. So yet again, you have a European nation picking spots to go over and take somebody else's land for the purpose of doing business slash profit. Okay? So, I'll reread this part. Originally known as the American, the American Society for Colonizing the Free People of Color of the United States, the American Colonization Society was founded in 1816 by a group of white elites, including Reverend Robert Finley, Charles Fenton Mercer, Henry Clay, Daniel Webster, Bushwad uh, Washington, Caldwell, and Francis Scott Key. Okay, now I would have to dig into these names to see if all of them were white. I'm just going to be honest. And I say that only because we know who had the seat of power at the time of 1816, who formed the 13 colonies, uh, who owned slaves, who was involved in the colonization of Haiti. So I'm not putting stock into all of these folks being white elite. All right. So just keep that in mind. All right. Form to assist. In the colonization and removal of free black people, the ACS quickly recruited support and financial backing from enslavers. The Protestant and Presbyterian churches and others, including the federal government officials. Now, who were Protestants or the protesters? 
Wasn't it like King James them folks? The Jacobites them tied to the Protestants? Okay, so that even furthermore <clears throat> why they're talking about white elites and then you turn around and talk about some Protestant. No, no, bruh. I got to question you on this. This being white elite. And the fact, who did you even get the idea from? You got it from a black man. A wealthy black man at that. Okay, so this white elite stuff, it doesn't pass the smell test with me at all. <clears throat> These were black, wealthy Europeans tied to the crown of Europe that came up with this idea. <clears throat> While the ACS had been founded with primarily pro-slavery motivations, the origins of the organization also suggest a commitment, albeit loose, to abolitionist beliefs. Uh... Do that make sense to y'all? That, that, that's a contradiction within itself. It makes no sense. But okay, whatever the case. Because you're going over to somebody else's land at the end of the day. Taking their stuff. But you're an abolitionist. Okay. All right, whatever. <clears throat> As a result, the members of the ACS were an unusual mix of abolitionists and enslavers, two groups that typically opposed each other. While they had very different primary, primary goals, they agreed that free black people would never be accepted as equals in the United States. Abolition, abolitionists leaning members believed it was an opportunity for African-Americans to escape racism, start their lives anew, and form their own nation where they could enjoy liberation and citizenship. Mm, okay, in another colony, though. Let's, let's be clear, in another colony, though. Because, again, you're going over... To someone else's home, there was already people in Africa to set up shop. But let's continue. It also removed the challenges integration would place on white people. Pro-slavery supporters consider it a means to remove those who might threaten slavery. Colonization was considered a somewhat progressive measure for the time, receiving support from people on both sides of the debate over slavery and abolition. While members had many motivations for joining the uh, ACS and different opinions on the issue of slavery, the underlying belief that whites and black that whites and black people could not peacefully coexist in society held this unorthodox group together for decades okay um so all i want to say on this last little piece again this was about business for the british empire plain and simple 
They were looking to expand territory. So why not take those freedmen, those that they selected to run the colony over in Africa, because they didn't already select it who they want to run the colony or run their business, and then get some of the other freedmen. I don't know whether or not they volunteered. I'm assuming they volunteered. And had to, or had to be approved, I don't know that. To go over there as well, to set up, to set up the colony and get it up and running. Because that's exactly what they did in Haiti. They brought some of the people from uh, one of the 13 colonies, I want to say it was Virginia, they brought them over to Haiti to help set up the colony. Okay? They had to clear the trees and all of that jazz and get the land prepared for the crops. Okay? Same with Barbados. Okay? This time, they're just admitting that black people were involved in the process, that black people were going to be the ones running this colony. But it's the same script. Make no mistake about it. Okay. So this whole black and white thing had nothing to do with anything. Okay, so... um there you have the uh, stamp of the Colonization Society. And actually, this is a certificate that James Madison is a member for life of the American Colonization Society. Okay, yep, that's a membership certificate. All right, so... As the ACS grew, the organization sought to create and settle a colony in West Africa to fulfill its mission. Now, remember that same West Africa that supposedly and allegedly they were taking the millions of slaves from, the millions of black slaves from, to the Americas. Yeah, remember that West Africa. Okay, that they supposedly went on the coast and stole the slaves or they purchased the slaves. And now you mean to tell me they let y'all come back on the coast with your own people to colonize? Oh, okay then. I mean, I don't understand where they do that at. So just inconsistencies with their story all over the board, okay? In early 1820, the first group of immigrants, numbering around 68 people, set sail for West Africa. Now, I want y'all to peep game. I want you to pay very, very, 
very, very, very close attention. Because this puts holes in their millions of people coming from Africa, being enslaved in early 1820, the first group of immigrants numbering around 68 people set sail for West Africa because many of the immigrants, Im immigrants fell ill with African fever and the rainy season impacted travel to the coast. This trip was not as successful as su supporters hoped. Excuse uh, me? In my Scooby-Doo voice. Excuse me? Now, according to y'all, according to y'all narrative, you've been importing African slaves since the 1600s. You said millions. Now, it's 1820 blood. You ain't mastered how to transport a trip Yet, and this was only 68 people, you ain't mastered it yet. But yet and still, you claim that supposedly and allegedly you brought over millions of slaves from the West Coast Africa from the 1600s up. And you couldn't even transport 68 people. But you've been going back and forth to Africa, to, to the African coast since the 1600s. Now, I think I, I, I think I got you. I think I didn't just tour into your narrative about the millions of African slaves. And it's the exact reason we can't find the records for the millions of slaves and them ship manifests. But we fencing a, we fencing a continue to avoid a repeat of the, these issues. The ACS and its agents decided to send future groups during a different time of, of the year. Again, y'all supposedly and allegedly been doing this for hundreds of years. Should you have known that was the rainy season? In 1821, the next group of immigrants and the ACS agents traveled to West Africa, stopping in Sierra Leone to search for a suitable colony to purchase and settle. Oh, okay, so now you're purchasing it and settling. Oh, okay, then. In December, the ACS purchased land along the West African coast for settlement and created the colony of Montestrato, later known as Liberia. The capital in the colony was later named Monrovia in honor of President James Monroe, an ardent supporter of the ACS. Okay. All right. So, okay. So, President James Madison was also a strong supporter of the ACS. He was elected the third president of the organization in 1833 and served until his death until uh, served until his death in 1836. 
President Madison, like President Jefferson, was an early advocate for colonization and developed his own ideas about how the process should work. In an 1819 letter, Pre President Madison stated that freed blacks ought to be permanently removed beyond the region occupied or, I'm sorry, beyond the region occupied or allotted to a white population. A belief held by some of his peers of that period. President Madison also argued for emancipation to be gradually and equitable to all involved, even stating that the consent of both the master and the slave should be obtained. Okay, so it sounds to me he is saying. <clears throat> that he wanted it to be voluntary, not involuntary, okay? Meaning the quote, quote, slave being uh, transported to the colony in Africa, okay? And I do want to point out where uh, they said Freed blacks ought to be permanently removed beyond the region occupied by or allotted to a white population. Okay. So <clears throat> there in that uh, particular statement, they're really giving you the hidden, the underlining hiding of how the white population, they started giving land to the white population over the black population, okay? Or over the black Europeans that were promised land, okay? So hence the argument that someone put forward, which I'm tending to agree with what they are saying is that the colonization for Liberia was a couple of folds. One, of course, was just to expand the empire of Europe, specifically Britain in this case. And then the other was to give a place for the freed blacks that had been promised land or position of power, okay? So in other words, they overpromised a bunch of folks a bunch of land and stuff, and then they couldn't deliver it, right? Okay, so I'm, I'm starting to agree with, and I, I forget who said that. It was an excellent point. I'm like, whoa, that makes sense, <clears throat> okay? All right. Uh, although President Madison supported colonization and disagreed with the practice of slavery, he never emancipated his enslaved laborers. Okay, enslaved laborers, that's a better term than just slaves. So you see how they double talk in that? But to be honest, that's a much better term than slaves, 
So uh, he didn't agree with slavery, but he never em emancipated his enslaved laborers, a.k.a. his indentured servants. He didn't let them out of their contracts during his lifetime or after his death, nor did he offer them the opportunity to immigrate to Liberia. Now, that's interesting. He didn't let them out of their indentured servant contracts. Oh, and the other thing with those indentured servant contracts, uh, they were not supposed to last more than seven years. <clears throat> and you had uh, some of the owners of those contracts, meaning, uh, i.e., slave owners, that were locking folks into indentured servitude for life, okay? So they were really abusing the work-labor situation, all right? <clears throat> Which was another reason that the population that was working those contracts revolted as well, okay? Because if you think about it, if you have <clears throat> decent employment, so meaning it's paying you well, you're able to make a living, uh, you're treated with respect, you're treated fairly, uh, you know, you have the applicable benefits that you need to have, then it would really be no need for you to uprise, okay? So think about it and, and probably, not probably, in our lifetime, we weren't able to witness the forming of the labor unions in the United States and why those labor unions were formed, okay? So same scenario, uh, just a lot harsher conditions and the fact that they were depending on this particular contractor job literally for their survival because they were locked in the contract because they had to pay back the debt if they came over on an indentured uh, serving contract. They had to pay back the debt that they had already racked up for their travel over to the new world. All right? So if you're already in the hole with the debt, and then as you're working this contract, the, you're really not able to get out of the contract because you have to pay your living expenses and you have to pay back the loan. It keeps you in perpetual poverty. Okay. All right. So that's interesting that they put that in there. He's against slavery. He supported uh, immigration to Liberia, but he didn't let his enslaved laborers out of their contract, nor give them the opportunity to go to Liberia, which would make sense because if they're under contract, they would have to get the permission, meaning the laborers slash slaves would have to get the permission from the contract holder slash slave owner to break that contract 
to go over to Liberia. Right? Okay. All right. So let's uh, continue. Oh, before we continue, those can, that can see, um, here is a map of Liberia. Let me see if I can blow this up, give you all a better view of it. I can't read the words on it. Okay, it's showing you the coastline. I'm sorry, I can't read the different um, cities or towns that they established in those areas. But based on Wikipedia, we know uh, some of them were called, I'm just going to jump back over here real quick, uh, Mississippi in Africa, Kentucky in Africa, Louisiana, Virginia, and several others. Okay. All right. Okay. While President Madison was not an outspoken supporter of the ACS until after his presidency, he provided significant financial support. Upon his death, he willed his enslaved laborer, laborers, plural, to his wife, Dolly, and left $2,000 to the ACS. The money for the ACS was to come from the selling of his papers, also left to Dolly Madison, which the federal government ended up publishing after debating the government's affiliation with the ACS. While President Madison never participated in the colonization process, he did not want to send free black people to Liberia without their consent. He bequeathed considerable financial support to the ACS so the organization could continue his, its work. Like his immediate predecessors, President James Monroe was a supporter of the colonization and the ACS. During his tenure as governor, Monroe played an active role in the movement to punish formerly enslaved black people who supported or actively participated in enslaved-led uprising by transporting them outside of Virginia. He later pu pushed colonization as a solution to deal with the free black community that terrified the white land-owning and enslaving populations. Okay, so... I'm not even going to dispute that. I think it was a combination of, of, of things for sure. Number one, the folks that were going to be running the colony, they were definitely either direct descendants of uh, the black European nobility or they were in their court, their boys and them. They had position of power. The... Uh, other blacks that were going to work the lands, um, I do believe that it was a combination of the freedmen and also um, they were encouraging the quote, quote, troublemakers to go head on and go over there as well. Okay. All right. Okay, because at this time they were starting to uh, give white folks land, okay? Not all across the board, but they were starting to give white folks land, okay? Hence, 
is why um, the Buffalo Soldiers were formed out of the Civil War to protect those landowners and the assets of the United States government and protecting the landowners um, out west, those settlers, okay, quote, quote, settlers who were allotted indigenous people's land. Okay, so yes, I'm agreeing with this part. But note, it was a combination of things. It was not just one thing like they tell you. All right. So well, while not explicitly active with the main chapter of the organization during his presidency, President Monroe did use his influence and power in the White House to help the ACS obtain the necessary authority to carry out its early voyages. President Monroe was primarily motivated by his desire to preserve the Union by removing any threats to its future, which benefited the ACS. During his presidency, President Monroe became close friends with ACS co-founder Charles Fenton Mercer, a former member of the Virginia General Assembly. Upon Mercer's transition to Congress, the two worked together to push for colonization on a national level by passing legislation that aided ACS's efforts. In early 1819, Mercer introduced a bill that would amend the 1807 law banning American participation in the African slave trade. The new provision called for the United States Navy to patrol the African coast and intercept any slave ships and required the president to return the Africans on the ship. Okay, so again, if they had to go through all of this, abandoning the African slave trade, and they were intercepting ships, why when old boy in bear with me, I gotta scroll back up. Why when um Cuffy had had his little expedition, they needed to go in 1821 with 68 people, they all died. Cause Cuffy had the support to go over there. So I'm sure he had a couple of folks on there that were skilled in navigation. So while all of them had died, but now y'all telling us that in 1807, they were stopping ships, this, that, and the third. Oh, okay. Okay, then. The Navy would also provide agents on the coast that would assist with the resettlement of these Africans and other freed people. After Congress passed the bill, President Monroe signed it into law in March 1819. Because of Mercer's connection to the ACS, the organization nominated delegates who served as agents on the African coast and used funds appropriated in the bill to agents to buy land for a settlement. Okay, so basically, 
this is a BS story about them seizing all of these ships because you contradict yourself. Then a couple years later, Cuffy tried to go over there and couldn't make it over there. Okay? With far less people, because according to y'all narrative, millions of African slaves were coming over to the Americas since the 1600s. So you all should have mastered by that time navigating back and forth from Africa to the America's coast and vice versa. All right? So they had to put this up in here to fit the narrative of the millions of Africans coming over from West Africa instead of dealing with the fact that you had millions of melanated slash black people already in the Americas with the combination of melanated slash black Europeans also here, okay? So you had all of these folks over in the Americas and now you want to do a colony out in Africa and you just want to transport some of those freed blacks over to Africa for your new colony. Just like you did when you had the Europeans come over to the Americas, just like you did when you had Europeans come over to the American mainland, the American Caribbean, just like you did when you had the mainland folks go to the Caribbeans, the different Caribbean islands to set up those different colonies. It's the same script. Africa was no different. All right, so because of Mercer's connection to the ACS, the organization nominated delegates who served as agents on the African coast and used funds appropriated in the bill to agents to buy land for a settlement. All right, so let's blow this up and see what they're talking about. Okay, uh, information about going to Liberia, things which every immigrant to Liberia ought to know. I don't know if that's common objections to going to Liberia answered to certain Cavaline against colonization. Let's see if they give us more on this. So that was in 18. Let's see if it'll show me more. It says show me more. Is it going to show me more? Of course not. It's not going to show me more. Of course not. Okay, it was just a photo, but it's an article behind this photo. Okay, so let's continue. President Monroe could not explicitly endorse the ACS while in Africa, I'm sorry, while in office, but he found other ways to support the organization. President Monroe worked to suppress the slave trade and even provided some private financial support to the colony to Liberia. To honor Monroe, the ACS passed a resolution 
1824 that renamed Liberia's capital after him. After his presidency ended, Monroe became more open in his support of colonization and the ACS, serving as president of an auxiliary chapter of the ACS and later vice president of the Colonization Society of Virginia. Okay, so I'm just assuming Monroe couldn't publicly come out and support ACS because like any politician, now this is just me guessing, I don't know this for sure. Um, he probably got in office with his quote, quote, supporters being against it. Okay, I'm, I'm just guessing that. Like his predecessors, President Monroe never participated in colonization by emancipating his enslaved labor and sending them to Liberia, despite his belief that slavery was unjust and a detriment to the U.S. Yeah, so I'm willing to bet that publicly he was rocking with uh, the population that was like, what do you mean be against slavery slash these indentured servant contracts. Uh, no. So that's what I'm, I'm guessing. Even though he is known as a champion for an emancipation and freedom of, for black people, President Abraham Lincoln also endorsed colonization earlier in his life and even during his presidency. Y'all peep that. He believed that black and white people could not coexist after emancipation and supported sending free black people to Liberia or Central America. On August 14, 1862, President Lincoln invited a group of prominent black leaders to the White House to discuss colonization. He argued that the black and white population or the, the black and white people were not capable of living together in the United States and that it was unfair to both groups to have to suffer in each other's presence. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. So could that be, <coughs> excuse me, could that be the fact that you're now starting to see white people in power and uh, white people. Now, not all white people were allotted large chunks of land in the Americas and land that was either formally owned by even some of the black Europeans and of course, the most important thing was really indigenous people's land. Okay? So what better way than to set up another colony in Africa? Number one, let's not forget, it's always about business. It's always about business. So in their eyes, it would have been a win-win expanding the British Empire being ran by the quote-quote newly formed American Empire. And then you can also give those Black Europeans, those freed men, 
some land and a business since they were displaced. Okay, so I am starting to agree with that theory more and more that that was the um, the second part about Liberia being a colony. During the Civil War, Lincoln engaged in more dialogue with Black leaders. Oh, and before I forget, isn't it interesting that you keep hearing this reoccurring theme about going back to Africa? As we sit here today, isn't that the current theme that is going on? with some in the ADOS community and some in Africa of the go back to Africa under the guise that you could come over there and live much better. You won't be discriminated against this, that, and the third, four, five, and six. So this time, instead of it being... um. Sierra Leone or Liberia, uh, shoot, it's the other place. I don't know why I can't think of it right now. But y'all know what I'm talking about. Because that's all they keep promoting. But yet, and some people literally are going over there and they have come over there. And a lot are coming back. Okay, because it's draining their pockets. Okay, but yet when the question is asked, okay, well, what about land ownership? Oh, you're not going to get that. Well, what do you mean I'm not going to get any land? How I'm going to give you something that my people don't have? Okay, so what do you want me over here for? Oh, well, you know, you're coming over here for better opportunity to build Africa up. Okay, so why would I have to come over here to build Africa up? Because that's exactly what they want black Americans to do. They want you to come over there to build Africa up with no benefits for you. Specifically, they want you to build Africa up with your pocketbook. With your money and resources. Because they ain't finna give you nothing. Now, they gonna give you citizenship. Dual citizenship, you can keep your U.S. citizenship and give you uh, their citizenship. But you ain't finna give nothing. You're not finna get nothing. But what you're finna give are your resources that you have worked to get in the Americas. You bout to get them pockets fleeced. That's what you finna do. So I'm just still trying to understand how are you benefiting by going to Africa when you can't even own land? 
And they ain't even pretending. They telling you don't. Nah, what, what are you talking about? Own something. You better go on and sit down somewhere. We're not finna give you anything that our people don't have. Our people are first. Wait a minute, but I thought you said I'm your people. I thought you said that I, you know, was stolen from y'all so many doggone years ago. Ghana. Ghana is the name. This effort of going back to Ghana. Well, I don't care nothing about that. I don't care what we said. What I'm telling you is we're not going to give you anything that our people already don't have. So the question is, becomes, well, if your people ain't got nothing, and this is ran by black folk, and it's been been being run by black folk. I'm coming over here because of what now? What, how is it benefiting me? It's not. You're going over there to get your pockets fleeced. Hence, why some people are running back over to the U.S. in droves. Because they went over there with the idea that it was brothers and sisters working together, woo-woo, this, that, and the third, only to get over there and discover the infrastructure is not there. And they're paying hand over fist money being drained out of them just to live in less conditions than what they left. And not to mention that the population does not look at you as a brother and sister, does not look at you as an indigenous African. They look at you as an American because contrary to what the average melanated slash black person American think the Africans know exactly who you are and they're going to show it to you. They're going to tell you you are an American. You can take your tail over there if you want to. Talking about we brother and sister. We're, I'm African. They are going to tell you to your face that you're not African. And they're going to show you because they're going to fleece them pockets. Okay? So again, this whole back to Africa thing, this ain't a new game. This ain't a new game. Only difference between then and now, back then, Folks knew exactly who they were. So they knew they were either indigenous to the American land or they, or they knew they were immigrants to the American land that came over from Europe. So they went into it knowing that they were truly going to a new land, not that they were going back home. So they've been running this game on the 
black American population since the 60s. This back to Africa. And every last one of those movements fail. As they should. But let's continue. During the Civil War, Lincoln engaged in more dialogue with black leaders and his views on emancipation and colonization evolved to those he expressed later in his presidency. In spite of strong support for the ACS and its mission, the organization and its efforts failed because of the opposition from the black community and its leaders. Much of the free black community, particularly those in the northern states, felt that they were American citizens by birth and had no interest in leaving their homeland to live in a place that they, they did not know or feel connected to in any meaningful way. So you know what? Like I said, they knew exactly who they were. And they were like, basically, no, you got me all the way effed up. I ain't finna go over there. I don't know nothing about no Africa. Those aren't my people. I was born over here. This is my homeland. I'm not connected to Africa in any way. No, they weren't being racist. No, they weren't saying... I'm better because I'm an American and that's Africa. They weren't denying their heritage because it wasn't their heritage. They knew exactly who they are. That's why they couldn't run that go to Africa game on them. So I find it very, very It's sad at this point. And then in other cases, it's hilarious when people try to shame other folks who say, look, get out of my face with that go back to Africa stuff. I'm not from Africa. And because others don't know who they are, try to shame black Americans on this concept. That's the part I find comical. Okay? Again, this is why it is important for you to know your heritage via your genealogy. Now, whether or not somebody choose to go to Africa and live, I don't care. That's your business. Do you? But what I do care and get concerned and quite frankly get pissed off is for black Americans to go over to Africa thinking that it is their heritage because they don't know who they are. That pisses me all the way off. Because they're making a decision with not having all of the information. 
So it's not fair to them. And it's certainly not fair to the African population. Okay, but let's continue. <clears throat> As a result, few free black people willingly traveled to the colony of Liberia. And over time, the number of immigrants decreased from 11,420 in 18. 30 to 7,836 by the 1850s. Okay. All right. The immigrants also dealt with severe challenges upon their arrival in Liberia and the poor living conditions in the colony deterred other free black people from settling in the colony. The settlers suffer from a high mortality rate and face hostility from the indigenous people who try to defend their homeland from colonizers. Um, don't that sound familiar? Wasn't this same game ran? on them Europeans, black and white Europeans, when coming over to the new world, wasn't that same game ran on them that this is the land of the opportunity, the land of milk and honey, this, that, and the third. But yet you had indigenous people already living on the land like, uh, who you? Who you be? You not from here. I, I know it. Don't nobody over here know you. Who, who you be? Oh, no, you're not coming over here trying to tell us how to run nothing. This is our homeland. Our people been here for thousands of years. What are you talking about? No, you can't come up here setting up shop, telling us we got to pay for this, pay for that, be taxed on this, be taxed on that. How is this your, this part of this land, your land? That's been in such and such so-so's family for thousands of years. So you mean to tell me they didn't run that game yet again or call themselves running that game yet again in Africa? And that's why them black Europeans was like, uh, nah, blood. We been there, done that, got the t-shirt. We know how y'all get down. We're not doing any of that. Nope. The ACS efforts to receive funding from state and federal government governments, as well as private donors, also deteriorated as reports from Liberia revealed difficulties in settling the land. These reports also undermined interest from the free black community and created additional funding problems for the colony. The ACS also lacked the funding to successfully support multiple voyages to and from Liberia and to maintain and protect the colony. 
Despite having significant private and public backing at the local and national levels at the beginning, the ACS and the colonization were not sustainable ideas. Okay, you know why they weren't sustainable ideas? Because the people were like, we're not going over there. So you can, you can skip all that. We're not going over there. So they didn't have enough people to get it up and running. And as it happens, the indigenous people with that small amount of people, what, 7,800 people? That ain't nothing. Against millions of indigenous people? After Liberia gained its independence in 1847, the organization further stagnated and the American Colonization Society formally dissolved in 1964. So they tried to keep this colony up and running all the way to 1964. In theory... Colonization appeared to be an idea solution to, to complicated and intertwined problems involving slavery, race relations, and the preservation of the Union. No, it wasn't no idea solution because y'all had already messed over people originally. You had already messed over the Black Europeans when they came to the New World. You had already messed them over. So they were smart enough not to fall for it again. Like, no, that's the same line you ran on us when we were coming up out of Europe looking for a better thing. And we had to fight tooth and nail to get the scraps that we have now. So you really think I'm going to trust you again? To start all over and yet another land? Nah, bruh, I'm good. Many members of the American Colonization Society viewed their efforts as benevolent. No, they didn't. They knew it wasn't no benevolent. They knew it was about business. But they gave very little consideration to the opinions of free African Americans or how the, these measures would impact individuals, families, and communities of color. So again, like I said, they knew it wasn't never, never benevolent. They're full of crap. They wanted to set up another colony, expand their empire, make some change, and solve the problem of promises that they had made to other folks being able to run a colony and profit. So this was their solution to that. Okay? Because it ain't ever about the impact of any individuals, families, and communities of colors. And white folks at that. It's always about what amount of profit can we make for the corporation? which is going to be ran back up to the king's nym. Run him his ends and for them to line their pockets. 
That's always what it's about. Colonization became a convenient alternative to emancipation, justifying the removal of a group of people deemed inferior while avoiding a direct conf confrontation with the institution of slavery and the larger scale manumission of enslaved people. Okay. All right. So again, they can go on with that last part. This was about business. Bottom line. Instead, colonization exhibited existing racial tensions, which led to the ACS demise. Many enslaved and those who benefited from the labor of enslaved people did not want to give up their labor force and advocates for colonization struggled to convince them to participate in the ACS efforts. Okay, so number one, you had freed black or those freedmen men saying, nah, bruh, I'm good. You want me to do what? No, uh-uh, we already did that. When we came over on these shores, we're not going to do it. Okay, well, let's go to these plantations and talk to these, quote, quote, slave owners or business owners and try to see if we can get some of their people out of their contracts to go over to Liberia. And those business owners slash enslavers was like, nah, we good also. Because if you do that, then where are we going to get our labor force from? Nah, we good, we good, we good. Enslavers were not interested in emancipation, and a few were willing to free the enslaved and provide their transportation to Africa. Well, dang, if they weren't gonna, even going to pay, uh, buy them out of their contracts, I know they was like, if you don't get out of my face. <laughs> Those who initially supported the efforts of colonization in the free black communities, like uh, businessman James Fortin, eventually turned against the ACS and supported the efforts of abolitionists like William Lloyd Garrison, who fought against colonization. Garrison and others eventually realized that their collaboration with enslavers was only fortifying the in institution of slavery. As a result, the ACS imparted a legacy that the two races could never live peacefully side by side. Okay, so uh, white folks didn't have nothing to do with that. Now the ACS just proved that you didn't messed over a population so much all across the board that nobody trusted you anymore. But you don't want to talk about that part because that's why you failed. You didn't fail because of relationship between the races. You failed because them freedmen and even the people that had were still under indentured servitude contracts wasn't rolling with you based on the conditions of the colonies out of the Americas. 
supporters, both abolitionists and enslavers, agreed that blackness was inferior and required removal in order to form a more perfect union. Okay, then. So you say. Okay. So uh, this is, again, from the WhiteHouseHistory.org, uh, the American Colonization Society. Okay, so the last piece I want to go over, um, I wanted to, I am back to Wikipedia. Um, and I'm going to go with early status and settlement. Uh, well, we talked about that because we did pe preparations and we got on um, Paul Cuffey. Okay, so they admitted he was, well, the White House said he was a mulatto. Okay, so they talked about the folks, the other folks that formed it. Um, okay, so I wanted to get in the first colony. They kind of talked about that. Uh, so after numerous failed negotiations to secure lands along the coast, the American Colonization Society sent two agents to negotiate with local chieftains to secure a place for colonization. Okay. All right, so it talked about the chiefs who supposedly and allegedly are the chiefs out of Africa, which supposedly and allegedly broker these deals for these land purchases. Um, so they established a settlement on Dozia Island, which they renamed Perservation, uh, uh, Perseverance. It was difficult for the early settlers made of mostly freeborn blacks who had been denied full rights of United States citizenship. Right? In Liberia, the uh, native Africans resisted the expansion of the colonists, resulting in many armed conflicts between them. Nevertheless, in the next two decades, um, 2,600 African Americans migrated to the area. Also, the colony entered an agreement with the United States government to accept freed slaves who were taken from illegal slave ships. Okay, so they're going with that um, narrative of being taken off of slave ships. But as you can see, the numbers aren't high again. All right, so I'm just trying to see if it was something else in here. They must have pulled it out. That's interesting. Okay, I'm going to go in here because... Um, I found where the leaders, and I'll, I'll um, pause this and go look for it, that it shows you all of the leaders of Liberia, because I want you to see those names. So I'm going to see if I can find that. I could have sworn it was under this particular label. And then I also uh, want to just review real quick Liberia's constitution and then we're going to wrap it up. So let me try to see if I can find the um, the Liberian 
leaders because the names on it they it they are okay we still had a little bit more i wanted to go over regarding liberia uh, liberia um we want to get into the leadership and then um how they spun it into um let's just go over the the leadership and what they did. Okay, so it says the ACS administrators gradually gave maturing colony more self-governance. In 1839, uh, well, let's back up. Uh, so just so you all know, I uh, switched over to Wikipedia. This is the history of Liberia. So literally I had to go to... Uh, I have to go to a couple of places to get the complete picture of Liberia. All right. So we'll back up and go to the high mortality, although we already talked about this. Um, but it says the ACS knew of the high death rate, but continued to send more people to the colony. Professor Schick, Schick writes, the organization continued to send people to Liberia while very much aware of the chances of survival. Okay, now remember, according to um, the U.S. government or the White House history organization, they couldn't get people to go anyway. All right, those freedmen or free blacks wasn't feeling it anyway. Okay. All right. So uh, any problems, including those of disease and death, were viewed as the trials and tribulations that God provides as a mean of testing the fortitude of man. After every report of disaster in Liberia, the manager simply renewed their efforts once the organization was formed and the auxiliaries established a new force developed which also prevented the societies from admitting the seriousness of the mortality problem all right so they already had a problem out the gate where those freedmen were they just weren't going they like no get out of here with that we're not going so the little amount of people that they did get to go over that over there, they're dying. The desire to perpetuate the existence of the corporate body became a factor, okay? Because basically it was all about profit in the first place, like I keep continuously saying. To have admitted that the mortality rate made the price of immigration far too high to be continued, would have meant the end of the organization. The managers were seemingly unprepared to advise the termination of their project and by extension, their own jobs. So shout out to whoever edited <clears throat> this section of Wikipedia because you also are being truthful that this was really about business, all right? So the managers of that colony were just going to try to make it work, 
All right. They were going to try to make that business work for their own benefit. So this was, again, not about finding a place for these freedmen or these freed blacks from an abolitionist view. This was all about business. All right, so it goes handing over command to Americo-Liberians. The ACS, so remember that's the American Colonization Society administrators, notice the word administrators, gradually gave the maturing colony more self-governance. And so when I say administrators, let me not gloss over that for those that don't know the meaning behind that. Although it's a deeper meaning behind that, but for the sake of time, the meaning of administrators are the people put in charge of this business on behalf of the crowned. A crowned. Crown. So in this case, the British crown. Right? So administrators could be... Um, the trustee of an estate um, or board members. But their main function is really to make sure that that particular business venture is ran properly as stated, as it was set up to run. Okay. So, and that's all business uh, I'm assuming across the planet, but I know for a fact business is done over here in the Americas, okay? So remember when uh, another podcast, we went over uh, the, the uh, black business of colonization, the 13 black colonies, we talked about King James setting up the 13 co colonies in the Americas and we went through how he had administrators, he assigned administrators to run that business. Okay. All right. So the ACS administrators gradually gave the maturing colonies more self-governance in 1839. It was reorganized into the Commonwealth of Liberia. Okay, and I'm just going to hit up um, one of the uh, constitutions of Liberia in a second. In 1841, the Commonwealth's first non-white governor, jo Joseph Jenkins Roberts, was appointed by ACS's governing board. And... Early 1847, the ACS directed Liberian leadership to declare independence, okay? So even with Liberia declaring independence, don't think of it as being a part of the African experience because remember, this colony was set up by Americans, all right. So when they talk about Liberia declaring independence, it had nothing to do with the Africans, the indigenous people of Africa, and everything to do with the colony 
that the Americans set up in Africa. All right. So on July 26, 1847, 11 signatories to the Liberian Declaration of Independence established the Free and Independent Republic of Liberia. It took several years for other nations to recognize Liberia's independent, most notably Britain in 1848 and France in 1852. In the United States, the Southern Bloc in Congress refused to recognize Liberian sovereignty. In 1862, however, following the departure of most Southern congressmen due to the American Civil War and the succession of the Southern states, the United States finally established diplomat relations and welcomed a Liberian delegation to Washington. Okay, so apparently there was some dispute between um, the Americans, the, the British Americans that set up Liberia and the British crown, okay? All right, so that's what they say. It's interesting. I'm still seeing how did they get that initial backing. Okay, so I'm going to uh, jump. All right, oh, this has been the longest <laughs> podcast of me trying to get through with all of these interruptions. All right, so um, the last few, they're saying, until otherwise provided by law, the Commonwealth of Liberia shall be divided into countries as followed. Okay, so um, let me make sure they're saying, no, they say in counties, my bad. Uh, the Commonwealth of Liberia shall be divided into counties. So same thing, the Morovia, who's named after uh, President Monroe, New Georgia, Caldwell, Millsburg, uh, shall constitute one county. Okay, so they lump those all as one county under the name of the county of Mount Cerrado and Bassacove, Alina, Bexley, and Marshall shall constitute the other county under the name of Grand Bassa. So as you can see, this is still the same old setup that we have in the states as far as having counties. Okay, counties, uh, only difference is they didn't say states in our case, but they do have a governor over the entire thing. Okay, the next article, there should be no slavery in the Commonwealth. Next one, there shall be no dealing in slaves by any citizen of the Commonwealth, either with or beyond the limits of the same. Immigration shall not be prohibited. Uh, the right of a trial by jury and the right of petitions shall be inviolate. Next one, no person shall be debarred from prosecution or defending any civil cause for or against himself or herself before any tribunal in the Commonwealth by himself or herself or counsel. Every male citizen of the age of 20 years shall have right of suffrage. All elections shall be done by ballot. Okay, so again, these Europeans are very specific. They write down 
property uh, right down the borders of the land. They have stole or they claim they didn't purchase or negotiate it. They write down how who should uh, be leading or the title of those particular positions, how often they are going to stay in office, and they <clears throat> write down of how the lands are going to be governed. And then you also have to look at the business side, although all of that is business as well. Those are just the rules of engagement in their corporation, what they're calling colonies, okay? And then, of course, there's also specific instructions on how much of the revenue that needs to be sent back to the mother corporation, okay? So in this case, it's going to be those original investors who are Americans, quote, quote, on paper, but they're not indigenous to America. They are Europeans, right? Right. The next one, the military shall at all times and in all cases be subjection to the civil power. And the next one, agricultural, the mechanical, the mechanic arts and manufacturers shall be encouraged within the commonwealth and the commerce shall be promoted by such methods as shall tend to develop the agricultural resources of the commonwealth advance the moral, social, and political interests of the people, increase their strength, and accelerate and firmly establish and secure their national independence. And then the last one, the standard of weight, measure, and money used and approved by the government of the United States of America are hereby adopted as the standards of weight, measure, and money within the Commonwealth of Liberia. But the governor and council shall have power to settle the value of the actual currency of the Commonwealth according to the metallic currency of the United States of America. So I told you, they going to tell you on that business side how things shall be done. Now, I'm sure somewhere, it's just not being revealed to us, how much profits needed to be kicked back to the American Colonization Society, or those initial investors, all right? So that's the Constitution of uh, Liberia, okay? So we wanted to go over that. We went over that. Uh, I think we are pretty much, um, we're good with that. I might have to jump back to that. Um see what I wanted to go over. Y'all, it's so much with this. It is so much with this. I'm trying to get through it and give you all as much as I can without leaving out too much stuff. So bear with me here because it spans so long as you all can see. Okay, so let's get into the Americo-Liberian people. The Americo-Liberian people or Congo people in Liberian English are a Liberian 
ethnic group of African-American, Afro-Cubans, and liberated African descent. Okay, so let's see what this liberated African is. Now, remember when they're talking about Liberian English refers to the varieties of English spoken in Liberia. All right, whatever. But you're y'all lumping that as a people, so that's not making sense to me, but whatever. And a Liberian ethnic group of African Americans. So we know who that is, right? That's that's those freedmen. Remember, that's those freedmen. Afro-Cubans. Um, so they're saying here that they trace their and partial ancestry to Africa. Okay, but again, those. Those in the Caribbeans are also Black Europeans. It's a mixture of Black Europeans and indigenous people to the land, right? Same as the African Americans, all right? So what are they talking about, this liberated African? Uh, so the liberating African of Sierra Leone were Africans who had been illegally enslaved. Oh, Lord on board slave ships and rescued by anti-slavery patrols from the West African squad squadron of the Royal Navy after the British Parliament passed the Slave Trade Act of 1807. All right, child. So I can't even call if these are true Africans or not, or if it was uh, more Black Europeans. I can't even call that one. So I'm going to leave that alone. I don't know if they were pure uh, Africans. Okay, so the sister ethnic group of Americo-Liberians are the Sierra Leone Creole people. So let's see what they're saying there. The Sierra Leone Creole people are an ethnic group of Sierra Leone. The Sierra Leone Creole people are descendants of who? Freed whom? African-Americans. So in other words, them freedmen, Afro-Caribbeans, and liberated Africans, slaves who settled in the western area of Sierra Leone between 1787 and about 1885. So in other words, Sierra Leone was another colony, right? And that colony was made up of whom? Black Europeans that were in the Americas. And that's including the Caribbeans. Okay? Now, I can't count for this liberated African situation. I can't count for that. But based on their track record, I'm going to say they were not indigenous Africans either. Because the story doesn't check out in my book. Because if you just took a ship, you just stopped a ship from exporting slaves off the coast of Africa, 
Why wouldn't you just take them same people? Because they're illegally doing it now. Let's just remember that. They're illegally doing it. Why wouldn't you just take those people right back to their indigenous land? Don't they know where their indigenous land is? So why would you have to take those people to Sierra Leone? So I'm just saying for me, their story of that being some Africans that were saved off of the coast from slavery, but we're going to bring y'all to Sierra Leone, we're going to bring y'all to Liberia, that don't check out well for me from a logical standpoint. All right? So these, to me, were more either uh, Americans or freedmen Americans, including the mainland and the Caribbeans, and or a combination of the freedmen of America and uh, black Europeans. Indigenous black Europeans from Europe is what I'm trying to say. Okay. All right. So who shared similar ancestry and related culture. Mm-hmm. So in other words, black Europeans, point blank and simple. America Liberians trace their ancestry to freeborn and formerly enslaved African Americans. Okay, so they proved my point. It, it was Black European Americans who emerged in the 19th century to become the founders of the state of Liberia. They identified there as Americo Liberians. Some African Americans following resettlement. And Canada also participated as the founding settlers in Sierra Leone as other recaptive repatriates settled in the present day. I don't know how to pronounce that, y'all. Corte d'Ivoire. All right. So that's off, um, uh, off of the west coast of Africa also. Okay, so now I, I didn't learn to me something new up in here. I didn't know that as far up as Canada, you had black uh, Europeans going to Sierra Leone and uh, this other, which they renamed it French because that's a French name out in Africa. Child, I didn't know that. So in other words, you see where they didn't just set up on their behind and went to West Africa and started up some colonies. So we have Liberia, we have Sierra Leone, and then this other one that I can't pronounce that's up in this French name. So I'm just going to remind you all, those that are doing those DNA ancestry tests that's coming back as... Liberia and Sierra Leone. Hmm, okay. Hmm, really now. Although the terms Americo Liberian and Congo had distinct definitions in the 19th century, they are currently interchangeable and refer to an ethnic group composed of the descendants of the various free and ex slave African American Caribbean recaptive and Sierra Leone Creoles who settled in Liberia from 1822. 
Okay, so I just wanted to give you all, I'm going over this because I want you all to get this term, Americo-Liberian, as well. All right? So basically, again, these are the freedmen of the Americas. Point blank and, and simple. And even Canada, that's still the Americas. I know people forget it, but it is. The designated Congo for the Americo-Liberian population came into common use, common, common usage when the African-Americans integrated 5,000 liberated Africans called Congos, former slaves from the Congo Basin, who were freed by British and Americans from slave ships after the prohibition of the African slave trade. So... Where's this Congo Basin? Why would they just return their people back to their land? All right. And 500 Bar Bardians. Where is that at? Barbados. See, I can't make this stuff up, y'all. They just be... Telling on themselves, but if you understand the true history, you can catch them in their own lies. So Barbados, basically. So you, you took people, so let's just break this down. So these American colonies in Africa, specifically in Africa, Liberia, Sierra Leone, and uh, this French area I can't name are comprised of the different areas in America made up of freedmen, black Europeans. So made up of, um, yeah, black Europeans. So they took them from Canada they took them from the American mainland, which is called the United States now, and the Caribbeans. And specifically, they saying up in here, they're calling out Barbados. American Liberians rarely intermarried with indigenous West Africans. Why? I thought they Africans. Oops. Oops. Why wasn't they marrying with they people? I thought y'all said they was Africans. And that there was a huge slave trade. Millions of Africans coming off that coast. Since the 1600s. Because you was taking them back to Africa, right? So why wouldn't them Americo-Liberians, a.k.a. them Black Europeans, intermarry with the indigenous West Africans? Why wasn't that culture blending? 
Them Africans wanted nothing to do with the Liberians because they looked at them as colonizers and invaders. And the black European was able to blend much better actually in the Americas than they were over in Africa. But yet they're still running that game today to black Americans slash melanated Americans to go over to Africa because you're going to be welcome you're going to be welcome with open arms. Yeah, well, that ain't what history tell us. But let's continue. Although Western literature and discourse in the United States and United Kingdom use the term American Liberians, this term is largely outdated, indeed, in common. Uh, Many Liberians and other West Africans, including the Americo Liberian people themselves, refer to the group as Congo or Conga people. Now, that part I did not know. In addition to indigenous Liberian chiefs and royal families, Upper-class Americo Liberians and their descendants led the political, social, cultural, economic sector of the country alongside indigenous Liberian elites. Upper-class Americo Liberians ruled the nation from the 19th century until 1980 as a small but dominant minority. So they're telling you who ruled indigenous Liberian chiefs. So I'm assuming they was the ones that cut their deals to line their pockets and the people got very little, which is why the people, meaning the indigenous people of uh, Africa, that area in Liberia, wasn't really feeling that arrangement and they never embraced them. So you had the Liberian chiefs, royal families. Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Now remember, this is all black folks. I want you to remember that. Upper class Americo Liberians uh-huh, so in other words, the kings and them, the black European kings and them, boys and them, and their descendants led the political, social, cultural, and economic sector of this country. So this was no different than what happened on the American soil. Which is hence why I had to take the time in a few podcasts to break down who made up the slaves slash indentured servant contracts. What population made that up? Which is why I had to take the time to break down who actually owned the slaves for this very reason. 
so we can understand and stop being tricked by this false narrative that it was all about this white kingdom overthrowing black folks. No, this was about a bloodline, a royal European bloodline, and specifically a black royal European bloodline ruling over and controlling the assets of indigenous people. And they turned right around and did the same crap with the cooperation of the uh, indigenous Liberian chiefs, just like they had the cooperation of some Indian chiefs here in the Americas to come over here and do business. So it's the same exact script. Okay? So from 1878 to 1980, the Republic of Liberia was a de facto one-party state ruled by the elites of both the indigenous and Americo-Liberian-dominated true Whig party and the what and the who? Shut your mouth. And the Masonic Order of Liberia? No. Say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. So the Whig Party, just real quick, the true Whig Party, also known as the Liberian Whig Party, is the oldest political party in Liberia and one of the oldest parties in Africa and the world. Founded in 1869 by primarily darker-skinned Americo-Liberians in rural areas. Oh, now they darker-skinned, huh? Now they darker-skinned. They ain't them African-Americans now. Yeah, I mean, y'all like to use that term a lot. They ain't them African-Americans now. They darker-skinned. No, they were. it was started by the black Europeans. Okay? So ruled by the elites of both the indigenous Americo-Liberian, I'm sorry, ruled by the elites of both the indigenous, so you know those indigenous Liberian chiefs that sold their people out? Yeah, so it was ruled by them and the Americo-Liberian dominate dominated true Whig party, so the black European political party and the Masonic Order of Liberia. So the Masonic Order of Liberia is the Grand Lodge of the Republic of Liberia is a, fr a fraternal organization based on the principles of Prince Hall Freemasonry. And it said uh, prior to 1980, its membership tended to consist of Americo-Liberians. And it was influential within the ruling true Whig party. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's continue. Let's see. Uh, we're not going to go all into that because we went into the settlement. And all of that, I'm just trying to make sure 
We're not missing anything. Um, just making sure. Okay, mm, and just once again to point out uh, the religion that they practice. The Americo Liberians are predominantly what are they? Protestant. You mean them protesters? Them protesters of the Catholic Church? Hmm. <clears throat> them Jacobites, King James, them people, the supporters, that was, oh, okay. So they were, uh, what they practiced was Protestant Christianity, and many belong to the Baptist, Methodist denomination, although some American Liberians are Episcopalians and perhaps a smaller minority adhere to the Catholic faith. American Liberians introduced Protestant Christianity on a wider scale in a modern day region of Liberia. Several American Liberians served as missionaries Hmm, that don't, that, that don't, uh. child, that sounded familiar to me. Didn't they set up a charter in the 13 colonies for those Puritans, aka missionaries to come over to teach religion to whom? Not the black Europeans that was already there. They didn't need it. So who were they teaching the religion to? It was specifically to who they call the savages or the indigenous people of the land, the Indians. So, um, several American Liberians served as missionaries to other ethnic groups, ethnic groups in Liberia, and were among the first Baptist, Methodist, and Episcopal missionaries of Black African descent in Liberia. So, once again. When folks want to sit up and tell me how religion was always there in, in these indigenous people's bloodline, yeah. Well, if it was already there, why did they need missionaries? Because we see a common theme. Whenever you see a European going to a different region, you're going to see that Christianity. You're going to see the missionaries come a-calling. And contrary to what they are teaching, it was not white folks that brought religion to the shores. It was black folks. Yeah, the black Europeans brought religion to the shores. The very Bible was commissioned to be put together by a black man, a black melanated man, a black European man, King James Stewart. Okay. All right. So we're going to get into food just real quick, just because I'm, um, <laughs> I just want to see what they were eating. So American Liberian cuisines include a variety of dishes and is a blend of African-American, Afro-Caribbean, and local indigenous Liberian rice and fufu dishes. 
Yeah, because y'all, y'all know foo foo. <laughs> Woo. No offense to Africans. Child, I just don't like that foo foo stuff. It don't have no taste to me. My African friends was trying to get me to eat that. I'm like, nope, I don't like that. I don't like y'all form of greens or spinach or whatever that is. But I noticed their cuisine is different. So now if they from Africa, these African-Americans and African-Caribbeans, why they got two sets of foods? Why? Why they got two sets of foods? And that's still to this day. If we from Africa, why we got two sets of foods? We're talking hundreds of years have passed. And we still got two sets of foods. Because it's two different groups of people. Bottom line. And even with black Europeans that's over in the Americas, now they didn't pretty much assimilate it, of course. So they've taken on the indigenous black folks, black Indians food. Because when you go over to Europe, um, I don't know of any black folks over here that eat like that. Okay? No offense to Europe, but chow, I don't know what food of y'all's is indigenous, but the ones that they do talk about, honey, I would not, I'm like, I'm not eating that. You know, you could go on and forget that. That shepherd's pie and something with some Pudding and blood involved. No, I ain't finna eat none of that blood. No, no. I can't even do it. Okay? Closest you gonna get me is the fish and chips. Other than that, I, I can't do the rest of that. Okay? But the point I'm trying to make here, why didn't the African food, if all these millions of Black folks in the America from Africa, how come we ain't eating fufu to this day? Oh, okay then. But ex except the traditional Americo-Liberian cuisine included African-American soul food. Cornbread, fried chicken, collard greens. But so it's two different things. Two different things. Okay, so um, I think uh, I'm going to read kind of what went down towards the end. And then I want to jump over to uh, the leaders so you can see them. And then we're going to wrap this up. Sorry, this is so choppy, child. I didn't hear so many interruptions. <laughs> so I apologize that it's so choppy, family. All right, so um, the American Liberian Dysphoria. Following the 1980 
uh, Liberian coup d'etat, the first Liberian civil war and the second Liberian civil war, thousands of Americo Liberians left the country while others were taken out in conflict. The 1980 coup uh brought an end to the dominant political position that Americo-Liberians had held on Liberian society and resulted in influential Americo-Liberian individuals and families leaving the country through either being forced or voluntarily going into exile abroad. Child, so they little settlement slash colony Slash business venture, baby, it never did really get off the ground properly. They struggled all the way throughout. Okay? Remember, they started this journey in the 1800s, and now here it's 1980, and they still had dramatization. Okay? In 1991, American... President George H.W. Bush granted Liberians immigration protection in 1991 under temporary protected status during the first civil war. So Papa Bush pretty much let them come on back over. Mm. America, Liberians have settled predominantly in the United States in places such as Maryland, Minnesota, New York, Pennsylvania, as well as small as well as in smaller numbers in Canada and the United Kingdom. Yeah. So let me just make sure. So you didn't tuck your rusty tail over to these people's land. Thinking you was finna set up like you did in the Americas. Because you didn't cut a deal with the uh, African chiefs. And the people was like, I don't give a blank who you set a deal with. We're going to give y'all a run for y'all money and you ain't finna sleep comfortable up in here. Okay, so they never did, the African people never did embrace them Americans slash black Europeans. They never did embrace them and pretty much ran they tail up out of there. So now you going back to Ghana for what? Now, this was just 1980. They didn't got their tail ran up out of there for good. Well, actually, 1991. Let me correct myself. Although the Americo-Liberian dysphoria is extensive in the United States, the, there remains communities of Americo-Liberians in the larger Liberian cities, such cities and towns such as Monrovia, Corzerville and Carysburg. In 2009, it was estimated that a population of 150,000 Americo-Liberians existed within the total population of 3.5 million people. 
So they still never was really able to totally settle that colony. All right, so let me see if anything else. Um, ooh, child, I'm going to read this last part. Americo-Liberian cultural, cultural legacy, while globalization has carried African-American culture around the world. Mm -hmm. What is actually, what, what exactly is African-American? You mean indigenous American culture? And I'll even give you indigenous slash black European American culture has been carried around the world. Americo-Liberians reproduce their own cultural American community uh, continuality or in Liberia. Its name means land of the free, and it's considered the most American of African countries in terms of its political institutions. The Liberian constitution structure of government and flag resembles those of the United States. The former residents of Americo Liberian families were built in the style of antebellum plantations. Mm hmm homes they may have admired in American South. Uh-huh. That's why them Africans gave y'all, uh, gave them such a hard time. They wasn't trying to hear none of it. Their language continued to carry elements of <coughs> African-American vernacular English. By many accounts, Liberians easily integrated into African-American communities. Okay, that's not, okay, y'all need to clean that up because that's contradicting each other. Liberian immigrants to the United States have the highest passport acceptance rate <laughs> and the longest extension rates of any citizen of African nations. So why ain't they having y'all go to um, all of you ADOS? Why ain't y'all going to Liberia? But I'll continue. Although many of the upper class Americo-Liberians left the country or were taken out during civil wars and their houses and monuments crumbling, ordinary Liberians looked to the United States for aid. In 2007, BET founder Robert Johnson called for African Americans to support Liberian like Jewish Americans support Israel. Oh, okay then. Child, if they don't go somewhere. All right, so I'm going to jump uh, just real quick because I want y'all to see the pictures of the president um, and the political parties in Liberia. So they have Republican Party, True Whig, National Democrat Party, Liberian People's Party, National Patriarch Party, Liberian Action Party, Unity Party, Congress for Democrat 
change. Okay, so um, you can see the folks that were ruling it. Joseph Jenkins Roberts was the first one. Stephen Allen Benson, Daniel uh, Bashel Warner, James Spriggs Payne. Uh, he actually looked like a Caucasian man. He could be mulatto. He looked Caucasian to me. Uh, Edward James Roy. Chow. James Skirving Smith. Okay, so Joseph Jenkins Roberts ruled again. So did James Sprigg Payne. Anthony W. Gard Gardiner. Alfred Francis Russell, uh, Hillary R.W. Johnson, probably was one of Robert Johnson's relatives back up in the day while he's sitting up there talking about some support something. If he don't sit down, sat down somewhere. Joseph James Cheeseman, William D. Coleman, uh, Garrison. Oh, this is what I wanted y'all to see. So, William D. Coleman, so he ruled from 1842. He was president. So, 1842 to 1908, he was the Whig Party. But guess who was his vice president? Joseph J. Ross. Mm-hmm. You know of that Ross Stewart bloodline? I told you these were all freedmen slash black Europeans who were holding the seat of power in this colony were connected black Europeans. Uh, Garrett, son, W. Gibson, um, Arthur Barclay, Daniel Edward Howard, Charles D.B. King, Edward, uh, Edwin Barclay, and now, child, I'm up to 1955 now, y'all. Check this out, child. William Tubman. William Tubman. You mean Harriet Tubman and them people? Remember, Harriet Tubman is a Ross. So when she was rescuing folks, she was rescuing her peeps. So Tubman ran Liberia up until 1971. Okay, so when did he, I think that first column is, yeah, He so he took office. In 1944, and he ran it up to 1971 when he uh, transitioned. So 27 years. William Tolbert, Samuel Doe, Amos Sawyer, David Kapoor. So I don't know that I don't know if that's a German name or Russian name. Okay, so I'm not gonna read through the rest of these. 
Um, now I do know Charles Taylor, honey, has some dramatization in his uh reign. Because it was said that he um was uh, a lot of corruption up under him. Okay? But I want y'all to peep these names. So his behind stepped into office in 97. And um, he had to resign in 2003, okay? And then somebody that served as his vice pres or whatever, <laughs> the name Enoch, I'm just throwing it out there. And then Moses also served <laughs> as vice pres. And then Moses, after Charles Taylor resigned, Moses... Uh, took the presidency, but only stayed in there for 60-something days, had to resign. These are black Europeans, fam. Okay? Okay. All right, so I'm not going to read the rest of it. So that's all I wanted to um, Give you all family with this. I wanted you all to understand how the business of colonization, the black business of colonization came over to the west coast of Africa and specifically Liberia and Sierra Leone, but we only did Liberia for this particular podcast was a black colony, plain and simple, okay? It was funded by a corporation stood up called the American Colonization Society with support from the newly formed, and actually it wasn't even formed at that time, the United States government, Okay, had their full support and how out the gate they had nothing but problems. They had problems getting over there, which I find just fascinating since according to them allegedly and supposedly since the 1600s, they had been transporting millions of African slaves from Africa over to the Americas. So you would think they would have figured that part out. But first time out the gate, they had 68 people to go over from the Americas. And it was a disaster. But nonetheless, when they did start bringing people over there, they didn't have a high number. Because they were trying to recruit freedmen, blacks that were free, they say out of slavery, which were really those indentured serving contracts, to go over there and really pretty much redo what they had already just done in the Americas, coming from Europe. And most of them said, nah, bruh, I'll pass. Not finna do that with you. Okay? And... As they were continuing on with this struggling colony, it was exclusively ran by black Europeans 
and the Indian, not Indian, the indigenous African chiefs that had cut that original deal. And so the indigenous population of Africa wasn't feeling it. And there were many, many uprisings. Okay. So I just wanted to uh, give you all the breakdown of the black Liberian colony. I'm sorry this was so choppy. I'll try to edit it the best I can. I got so many doggone distractions trying to put this together. This should have been done. Um, so if you are not subscribed to us, I highly encourage you to hit subscribe, like, and share. Uh, I hope you all got something out of this. I wish everyone well on this Tuesday. This is Rhonda with WTUZ Radio Podcast. Peace and love, family. What? <laughs>